Hey guys, we're back with episode 219. It's another one in our school education series, and today the focus is on history. We're going to go through the different ways of teaching history and the seven different learning styles so you can teach your child or help your child with history in the most effective way for them. Plus, at the end, we share the specific things that we use for teaching our kids history. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Outnumbered the Podcast. I'm Audrey. And I'm Bonnie. We are experienced moms to a combined total of 19 children. In our weekly episodes, we explore relatable topics using our perspectives of humor and chaos. Tune in for advice and encouragement to gain more joy in your parenting journey. Okay, guys, it's time for another one in our school episodes where we have talked about all the different subjects and how to teach your kids, help your kids in each subject. If you homeschool or if they go to public school, it doesn't matter how to help them best learn and study and love each subject. We're almost to the end of the list that we made about different subjects. So if anybody has a topic that we haven't talked about um, for school related things and helping kids, send us an email. We want to know what else you want us to talk about relating to school and educating your kids. Yeah, and we've kind of taken it uh, like uh, topic by topic as far as school subjects go, but um, there's so much more that we could help specifically with homeschooling. If you're wondering, in fact, didn't we do an episode about homeschooling with a bunch of littles around? So like logistical type stuff, we'd be happy to cover, but we'd love to hear what you guys want to know. Um, So I wanted to share something funny um, that relates to having a lot of kids spread out in that you have to teach things over and over and over. And sometimes you forget to do that or there's like some gaps because you're thinking, oh, we've already done that before, but your brain doesn't connect the dots that that was actually 15 years ago and this new set of kids actually needs to learn the same thing. So the other day we were talking about something, um, something uh, church related, you know, like, like uh, scriptural. And we said something about Adam and Eve, and one of my little ones goes, what's Adam and Eve? And I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> wow, we are really <laughs> failing there. I think we were in the Old Testament last year. And, um, yeah, we just started. I'm like, oh, back to the basics for these little ones. So that's just how school goes, too. Even if you don't have a huge gap, sometimes you just, you know, our minds are a lot fresher than our, our little kids. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess you weren't around the last time we did the Old Testament. So I got to gotta reteach you, too. Let's go back and begin at the beginning. <laughs> Yeah, in the beginning. That's right. (laughs) Oh, so fun. So cute. Yes, reteaching it again, but it's fun. Like sometimes I'm really glad that I kept notes. Um, Like last time we, I taught something, you know, and made notes and, and other times I'm like, yeah, that really didn't work. So let's go ahead and try something new this time around. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's tons of different ways to study history and okay. Time out here. Okay. Bonnie and I are mostly going to be talking about working on the subject of history with homeschool kids because that's our area of expertise. We homeschool kids. We've been teaching them history and kind of a side note here. I don't even know if the study of history happens very much, at least at the elementary and middle school ages in public school. I think they kind of lump it all into social studies or in my school they did. And so I don't know. I've, I've seen since um, homeschooling my kids, I've seen it as a really um, cool opportunity to do some um, fun learning with my kids at younger ages than high school. So there's different ways to study and teach history. There's time-based. There is location-based. 
and there's topic-based. So we're going to talk about what each of those are to start out with. Yeah. And the cool thing about teaching um, lots of kids history is that history is one of those subjects that's very, very easy to do with the whole family, right? Math, can't really do that. Language arts, can't really do that. It's it's very simple to just sit down and tell history stories. Now, your young ones might be good with a five-minute story and then they run off. The next age might you know, do some sort of hands-on lesson along with it. The older age might write an essay about it. So you can add elements in as their maturity and and uh, understanding goes up. But it's a really fun way to connect and do things together because if you've homeschooled or tried to help your kids with homework at the same time and they're all at different levels, you know how challenging that can be. Yeah. At the end, we're going to share um, resources that we use. But I do have to say here right at the beginning that the resource that we use, we chose it because our whole family could study the same time mm. period in history at the same time. That was like a, a large family and homeschooling thing for us. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Okay. So first off, let's talk about time-based. So this is pretty common, a pretty common way to look at history, and that is just study history as it happened. So one segment in time at a time um, or throughout the ages. So like, so ancient history and then medieval and Renaissance and modern and, and those sorts of things. Um, you can do it backwards. You can start with modern and go backwards. You can kind of pick and choose, although it does make sense to very often to go oldest to most modern. Um, but that's a pretty common way of teaching it, especially in the public schools. Yes. The second way of teaching history is location-based. Start with the history of right where you are, <laughs> like your family history, and then move on to like the history in your county, and then the history in your state, state history, and then the history of your country, and then move out to world history. That is another way to study history is from like you're the epicenter and it goes out from you studying history. Because that like that is kind of, for some kids, that's the most interesting. What is the history of me? right here where I live. Yeah, I will say that location-based and topic-based, which I'll tell you about in a second, are probably the easiest for kids that are a little bit resistant to studying history. I was not a fan of history as a child. And I think it was because it was all um, time-based and it bored me to tears. And we started with people and culture and times that I had no interest in. Um, so starting like around where you're living, like that location or starting with a topic. So the history of things that you're interested in, right? Let's study the history of computers. I have a kid who's into computers and loves to build his own. Let's let's look at what computers looked like 20, 30 years ago. Wow, that's amazing. Let's look at the history of music is so fun. Black History Month, it's a great time to do that. Art history, Egyptian history was my favorite. I did like, even though they were far away and very ancient times, it was just super fascinating to me. Um, the history of clocks, the history of scooters. I don't know, anything your kid is interested in, teach them that it existed before they did, right? That the current state of affairs is not how it always was. Let's look back at how it was invented and why people needed it and how it has progressed. It's so fascinating. Yes. This is a really fun way to get kids into history who aren't are resistant to the um, idea of history. So, you know, um, well, why was this, you know, why was this, you're studying, say, um, automobiles? So the history of automobiles. Well, why was it done like this? Well, that's because there was a war on at that time. And so, oh, then you have to study that war a little bit and learn more about that and those kind of things that help you, um, you know, it, it can lead to more study of history by studying a certain topic that they're interested in. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of gets their toes wet for a minute and they're like, oh, this is kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to go through the seven different learning styles and how each one best learns history and how we incorporate these learning styles into our teaching history and working with history with our kids. We have done this for 
almost every single um, other subject that we've studied, math and reading and all the learning, um, the seven different learning styles and how to, you know, you notice that one kid is way more, um, learns a certain way, then you can use it. And so we're going to dive in and tell you exactly how to teach to these different seven different kinds of learners. And just to remind you that each kid probably has more than one learning style. And so a lot of these things that we're going to talk about kind of hit several of those as well. But um, if you have, sometimes you get a kid that's just like super strong in one learning style, and this is just great information to have. Yeah. And it's also a great reminder that you are probably going to default to teaching the same way you learn. So if you have an auditory learner and you are a visual learner, then you might do everything visual and your auditory learner is like banging his head against the desk in the corner because it doesn't matter to him and it, it just doesn't sink in. Right. So just a good reminder to kind of flesh out the teaching and the learning and try different things if it's not working. Right. Okay, so the first one is visual and my favorite. Um, and this is great for geographical history, right? Because you can start with maps like, oh, we're going to talk about the history of Europe. Look, here's where Europe is. And this is where the people came from. And this is where they moved to. And this is where they got, this is the trade route, right? So I love looking at maps when, come, when it comes to history. Um, pictures of places, so fun, or old paintings or drawings. They just help anchor those facts in a child's head that is a visual learner because history is largely abstract, abstract right? It only exists in our minds and in our books. So to not be able to see it can be tricky for a visual learner. Yeah, that's a really good point. Other resources that are great to use visual, visual learners are historical documentaries. Um, genealogy diagrams, those are very visual. You have to draw them out to understand them. Family trees, same. If you're starting with your own history, if you're doing a location-based and you're starting with your own history, well, here's you, kid, on this family tree, and then here's mom and dad, and then here's our moms and dads. Because, you know, at the youngest ages, you notice that kids don't have a good concept of relationships. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> Photos from the time period. Um artifacts, if you can get your hands on them, you know, that kind of thing. Really, really cool. Depending on what you're studying, um, those, those are different ways to really light up a visual learner. Yeah. Visiting a museum that might have artifacts from that, that time period is so powerful. They get to go look, probably not touch, but um, really, really brings it uh, to life for them, right? It makes it real. I'm really glad you mentioned family history too, because this is a great place to start with history. Um, we, have two genealogical charts on framed and on our wall that my kids love looking at. And it's just names, but they get to get this greater sense of who they are and of, it's really fun to place history within the history of your family. So for example, you can look back and say, oh, okay, so here's mom and dad, here's grandma and grandpa, here's their mom and dad, and here's their mom and dad. And you know what was happening when they were alive? This is when cars started becoming popular. Isn't that interesting? Can you imagine going from a horse and buggy to a car, right? And it just kind of pieces things together in a way that's really important to them because they care about where they came from, right? And that they belong to this family. I love that. Uh, side note, familysearch.org is where we love to do family history and you can create your own genealogy chart. So if you haven't done that, that is a super fun activity to do with your kids. If you're not home, you can do it during history time for homeschoolers. If you're not, um, you can just do it on a Saturday afternoon just for fun. Um, and just go look at all the cool names. We love looking at them when we're about to name a kid. <laughs> oh, any good names in here? Uh, we've done that too. And then there's also other times where we're like, uh, yeah, definitely not making the Not list. that one. <laughs> there's a lot of weird ones. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So the next one is auditory, right? Learning through hearing. We love audiobooks. My kid is funny. I pulled up Audible the other day and it gave me this list of like 15 badges I had earned. I was like, oh, I 
didn't realize I was listening that much. No, it's all my kids. They use my account, right? And so they're listening for hours and hours and hours as they drift off to sleep or doing chores or whatever. So audiobooks are so great if you can find some historical fiction to pull in the time period that you're learning from or nonfiction. So fun. Um, we love read alouds, sit down and read a, a picture book or a, or a, a nonfiction book or anything to make that that history a little bit more interesting. Uh, the Good and the Beautiful is the history we're using right now and it has a really awesome running n- narrative. It's an audio, basically an audio story that just, there's a chunk of it for each lesson. So we turn that on. It's the same characters, right? It's like this fictionalized account of them uh, learning about history. Um, and it's just something to get those auditory learning, to get those auditory learners picturing it in their mind. Yeah, that is awesome. We use some audiobooks um, also. We use the Story of the World um, audiobooks as we go through history, and um, that goes from the beginning of time up through uh, modern history. And it's it's pretty um, – she does a lot of history like around the whole world, things that you might not have encountered before, so it's really cool. Another um, one that we use for auditory learners is We Sing Around the World. It's um, like hearing – the kids, little kids sing in another language. So when you're studying, you know, ancient history of Japan, you can go listen to little kids singing in Japanese. That's really attractive to little kids to hear kids singing in a different language. Another one we love when we're studying, um, this is more of a topic based, but we do study music as we go through history. And Beethoven's Wig, my kids adore those songs they're they're spoofs if i'm sure some of them are free on youtube actually i think you can go to their website and listen to some some of them for free before you buy the you know whatever and my kids so if we're as we're studying through history we come across beethoven oh yeah he was a composer okay here's let's listen to some of the music he composed and then let's listen to this spoof and the the uh, (laughs) you guys i'm laughing but you just have to go listen to some of them they're so fun all right. And then we have a whole curriculum that's just the history of classical music. And you listen to the music as you're studying the composers through history. So depending on what you're studying, try try auditory. Yeah. If you've ever tried to study the history of music without the music, it's pretty dry. <laughs> it means nothing, right? I know. <laughs> these composers and you're like, why do I care? And then you hear their music. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I want to learn about this guy, right? Okay. So moving on to kinesthetic, right? touching things, feeling things. Um, This is where all the fun projects come in, right? Again, I was obsessed with Egyptian history when I was a kid and the sugar cube pyramid is like the funnest history lesson I ever had, right? Building all the pyramids and making it look like uh, King Tut's tomb or whatever. Um, It's funny that you were talking about Beethoven's wig, even though it wasn't a wig, because that was one of my thoughts is creating wigs like George Washington's, like something to make them look like an old fashioned uh, history character, right? Could be kind of fun. Dress up, um, uh, putting on plays or some sort of uh, acting out a historical scene is really, really fun for kids. Also Play-Doh or Lego creations. So you can say, okay, for the rest of this hour, here's Play-Doh, here's Legos. I want you guys to build a scene from medieval England. What would that look like? And, And they can, you know, bring in everything they've been learning and create it with their hands. Super fun. Yes, this we also use a lot of activity books as we go through history. And we try to save one day of the week for our activity day, just so it has a designated day. Otherwise, it doesn't. Otherwise, they're doing projects when I'm trying to teach other things. and I never get time to fit the projects in or, you know, whatever. So I'll I'll link some of them that we've used in the show notes. Um, Putting on plays, like you said, that's definitely a good one for kids. Anything art related. If you study art simultaneously to history as you're going through it and Mm. then you start trying to 
make some impressionist paintings or, you know, this clay, work with clay. Uh, field trips to local historical sites or museums. Um, coloring books is a huge one for my kids. I have some kids that must be kinesthetic and auditory learners combined because as they're listening to their audiobooks, they're coloring some of these historical coloring books. My girls love the historical fashion coloring mm, books. They just fun. love those. Yeah. Um, we have, oh, we have a, um, a coloring book for, you know, president's wives and all the clothes that they wore, but you know, like history of the civil war, they've got a coloring book to color and it just kind of helps them um, process it. And then another fun, fun thing that we do is um, historical cookbooks or recipes. So you're studying ancient Greece, go make a Greek meal, like, and make it, try to make it, you know, as historically accurate as you can really, really cements things into kids' minds as you're learning it and gets them excited about learning history. Yeah. Well, who's not excited if there's food involved, right? Yeah. Okay. The next type of learner is the logical learner. So these are the ones that need to know the why behind. And I think I've got some of this in me as well, because we would just have to regurgitate facts and names in history. And I was like, who cares? What does this have to do with anything? But as soon as I know a little bit about the why, well, this is the person who, you know, created the first movement to, you know, mechanize uh, farmlands. Then all of a sudden they had wheat threshers and these other things. And I'm learning how this guy, why this guy's life is important. And the, and the reasoning behind it all, that can be super powerful for a kid who just feels like this is boring rote memorization, right? Um, and they, and they get more of a big picture. They know how everything fits together. Yes. I am a logical, primary logical learner, math, science. Those are my big things. <laughs> Love math. But you guys, I hated, I like, I didn't, I can't say I hated it, but I did not get history until I started doing timelines with my mm, kids. Mm -hmm. And I was like blown away. I was like, oh my goodness. So you mean this war was before this event? Well, that totally makes sense. Like I could see it all together and I had to be reminded not only of the time period or the subject or, you know, location of history that we were studying, but what had happened before that and what mm -hmm. had happened after that. So I totally would have done so much better with history when I was a kid mm -hmm. if I had had some timelines there um, to, it's kind of almost like a, like a hook, you know, like you see a, a big coat rack and it's got all these hooks on it. It, it worked for me. It was like history opened up later to me in life. And I just loved it to have that timeline to see just the why and the where and, mm -hmm. and be able to start connecting those events. It was pretty fascinating. And honestly, timelines are good for so many learners. First of all, visual, you're laying it out. Mm. Like if you can put it up on the wall or something and then auditory yep. learners, as you read it out, right, you read the facts aloud and maybe they can go up and read them themselves. Kinesthetic, they can come put the pictures on or the dates on or come point to things as it goes along. So it's very, very beneficial for a lot of different kinds of kids. And I will say one of my other favorite tools for timelines is layering them. So let's say you're learning, um, ancient history, just like secular history, you create a timeline for that. And then you go learn biblical history and you can kind of layer it on and go, oh, look at what was happening in Egypt when Joseph was there. And that really yeah. helps things click for kids as well, instead of it all being separate um, events, right? To, to understand what was going on in the world as a big picture. That is really fascinating. We have done that before with, we're getting off track here, but it's okay. History <laughs> and geography are connected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've done that before with geography. So as we go through um, a, the history of a place, let's say, um, so you're starting with ancient history, you start in the ancient um, area around the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, and you start making a, um, a map and you do a layer and you do it on a transparency 
So then your next, you know, 100 years later, you make another map. And this mm. is what the region looked like then. And you can see through the map down to the layer below. And you can see and you get a thousand years of, you know, transparencies layered up on top of each other. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. And what's cool to remember is that the world doesn't operate in isolated pockets, right? It's not like Europe was doing this one thing while the Middle East was doing this other thing. No, it, it's all related. And so when we give them that big picture and we allow them to understand things as they are, you know, interfering with each other, then it makes so much more sense instead of why did this guy show up on the scene and start a war? Well, actually, <laughs> he came from here, you know. Yes. Okay. So final uh, learning style is verbal. So the people that people, kids, adults, all of us who need to speak things aloud. I'm also one of these, right? So in order to learn, you have to ingest it and then repeat it, right? Repeat it aloud. Oral histories are a great way to do this. So they can come up with presentations. They can um, create their own personal oral history. So, you know, have them keep a journal and then every now and again, they get up and and talk about what their life has been like and what they're excited about. Um, they can narrate these histories to younger siblings or even just read a book aloud can help cement things in their head. Yes. One cool thing to use for these kids is historical vocabulary. There's a lot of words we don't use mm. anymore, but teach them to these kids and it will it will be fun and funny to them and it will actually help them remember history. That this thing this word was a thing back then, and it helps them make connections. Um, poetry memorization, memorize poetry from the time period, singing, um, those kind of things. Uh, just another rabbit hole here. Here's much of how much of a verbal learner I am not. <laughs> so the other day, Bonnie and I were talking about chocolate. Okay, we were talking about chocolate. And um, she told me that I was pronouncing the name of this high-end chocolate incorrectly. And so I went to YouTube and I got somebody to teach me how to say it on YouTube. I'm going to play this video of them saying it. And every time they would say it, I would repeat it. And the next, that night I was laying in bed and I was trying to remember how to pronounce this word. And I was like, it's gone. <laughs> it's as if I never spoke because it's gone. <laughs> That's so funny. I have a history of being a, a voracious reader, like especially as a young child, but not talking as much because I was a little bit shy when I was in school. And so I would read all these words and then mispronounce them. And still as an adult, that happens to me. And I hate it because I, I, I think that correctly pronouncing words is very, it's very important to me. And so if I do it incorrectly, I really embarrass myself, even though there's nothing to be embarrassed about big deal, like look it up on YouTube. Right. But, uh, that's so funny that it's sometimes it's a strength and sometimes it's just not. Okay. The next thing we want to talk about is being a social or interpersonal learner. So this isn't technically a learning style, but it is just a way of uh, doing the work, right? Are you more social or are you more solitary, right? So social learners are group workers, right? The ones that want to do things with a partner or, or in a group. Those group projects can be really, really helpful. Um, even if you're just sitting alongside of them, maybe you don't have another kid uh, or friend that can help out, but you're just sitting alongside and you're doing the work together. Um, just be aware that if you are allowing children, your own children to work together, that you're making sure that everybody has the equal like equal amount of work, right? I hated group work because I always did more than everybody else and it made me irritated. <laughs> Sometimes kids can kind of fly under the radar if there's a group project and and they're not being required to do as much work. But reading to each other can, can be helpful in this way. It, even just doing flashcards together, like you mentioned, historical vocabulary work together, just anything with another person. Okay. Um, I am also not an interpersonal learner. And I think most of my kids are pretty solitary learners themselves. But one thing that we have done um, 
because it's just good to try different things and get yourself out of your rut. We do unit celebrations. So um, these would be called like at the end of every quarter, um, we do a little celebration of everything that we've studied. So let's say we were studying ancient history, ancient Egypt. So then our unit celebration, we would eat an Egyptian meal. The kids would each give a presentation of something they'd learned or show a picture or art or something they'd built from the time. Um, they, we would wear as close as we could um, Egyptian costumes. We would, and if everybody that we invite has to play along and wear the Egyptian costume or, you know, whatever the costume, the time period is too. Um, and it has been so fun for my kids. We have done a Victorian tea party. We've done a medieval feast where one dad came dressed in a full suit of armor. Like my kids, my kids never have forgotten that one. <laughs> um, we did a Renaissance play. We put on one act of a Shakespeare play and everybody came and they were dressed up in the proper, you know, and we educated them first that, you know, this is what the audience did sharing Shakespeare plays. So it's okay mm -hmm. for you to do these things. Oh, I can't even name them all or think of them all, it's, but they've, they've been so fun. And we've incorporated little things that we've learned that have really um, cemented it in. Um, like, for example, in Viking times, there was one bowl of salt and it was set at the head of the table. The clan leader had the salt and you had to ask for the salt. And if you were in his favor, you could have the salt passed to you. But if not, I'd just eat that unsalted food. Because <laughs> so it was precious and it was like their currency or anyway. I think we should practice that you at can... our dinner table. Mm, you have yeah. not been in mother's favor. You get no salt. <laughs> No napkin. <laughs> no salt for you. Yeah, but no napkin makes That's more true. Work for That's us. true. Never mind. You know what's so great too is when kids know they have a reason to celebrate or act it out in that way, they pay so much more attention, right? Like, do you really care how the Vikings used their salt back in the day if you don't get to mimic it and and like play it out? How fun is that? And then they're paying attention, right? Like, oh, I can't wait to dress up like this guy because that will be really fun. So I love that. It's beautiful. The last one that we did, we had been studying um, like ancient um, Babylon. And so we had this meal that was in, we cleared out all the furniture out of the dining room and we brought in all the cushions from everywhere else in the house and everybody sat on the floor. And then we brought in every house plant because I have a few <laughs> into the room and we made it look like we were eating in a garden and we sat on the floor and we ate food from the time. And these are the kinds of things that make history come yeah. alive to kids. They love it. They never forget. So fun. I love that. Oh, I think I need to come to your house for your unit celebrations. <laughs> You're way funner mom than I am. <laughs> oh my goodness. I can talk about it for so, so long. At the Victorian tea party, we traced all the guest silhouettes. We had it set up so we could do everybody and everybody took home a little party favor. That was a silhouette of their own their own profile because yeah. that was what they did at the time and it was just really really fun it's really fun cool too bad we live too far away audrey yeah okay so finally we're going to talk about solitary or intrapersonal learners and those are just the ones that prefer to work alone right they enjoy doing essays alone studying alone um but again these ones the the downside is that you might want to double check these kids work because sometimes they do like to be well, they do like to be unsupervised and work on their own. However, I have noticed that my intrapersonal learners, the ones who prefer to work on their own, tend to be quite self-motivated, right? It's not like they're, they want to work on their own and then do nothing. They usually work pretty hard and don't need to be supervised very well. But again, that's just a you know, pro-mom tip is if you want to make sure they're actually getting the work done. So true. Throw those pro-mom tips in. <laughs> Oh, for my solitary or interpersonal learners, I just throw books mm. at them. 
books, 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 living books. Like I make sure they're good mm-hmm. books. They're not just out there reading graphic novels. I have a thing for gra- against graphic <laughs> novels. It's like, is this even learning? Uh, and primary resources of what my older kids use um, at the at the higher levels. They use primary primary documents. If we don't study about the Constitution, we read the Constitution, mm-hmm. right? So it's um, go back anytime we can find it. We use a primary document and just make sure that these guys that are off curled up with a book that it's a good book. That's that's like my strategy for them. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, and I will say here that I'm also going to give anyone listening permission to do things very simply. We have given you so many resources, and that's kind of the 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 risk we run of like fire hosing you with all the ideas we've ever had about history or any topic in in homeschool or or helping your kids at at public school. Um, So please don't get overwhelmed and think, oh my gosh, I have to do all the things, but take one or two things and think, oh, that could really mix things up for me. In fact, every time I talk to Audrey, I get more ideas for my own homeschool and think, you know what, this one thing hasn't been working so well for us. Maybe we do need more of these living books. We need more um, kinesthetic learning, more hands-on, more more acting things out, right? Um, so please don't get overwhelmed. Just use these as a kind of a springboard of what do I want to try next? And if things haven't been going well, here's your permission to scrap it all and start over. Maybe you start over with one history of the world, so sorry, story of the world book, and you um, read a couple of chapters and then have a play. And you call that good for history for a while and, and gradually add more things in. But don't don't let this overwhelm you. That is 100% true. Do you know that there is on your on the SAT test, which is what you get into college on, there's no history. <laughs> yeah. You can just That's drop hilarious. it all together. It's not going not gonna to get you into college or not get yeah. you into college. <laughs> Enrich your life? Oh, yeah. But get you into college or not get you into college, you can get it without it. <laughs> Basically, like I mentioned before, we use Good and the Beautiful largely right now because I need a pretty hands-off approach, and uh, we have a tutor helping us who guides everyone through. And then uh, we really, really, really love Story of the World as well. Um, I haven't yet dived into the older version. What, what did you say it's called, Audrey? History of the World? History of the World, yeah. Um, but I love, love, love everything that she does. Really, really well done in depth and very entertaining as well for young kids. But largely, I just try to keep history pretty basic because we have so many kids of different ages and I want to make sure that we can do most of it together. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the curriculum that I mentioned earlier that we chose because it works for our whole family is called Tapestry of Grace. I can link it in the show notes. But what we love is it does a four-year cycle through all of time history. And um, you study it at three different levels, at a grammar level. So that would be your elementary kids. At dialectic level, that'd be your middle school kids. And then at rhetoric, which is the high school level. And each time you go through history, they go deeper. And so if they missed something the first time through, no biggie. They're going to be going through two more times, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) And they do different things and they have different resources um, at every level. Like for example, at the um, grammar level, they use the story of the world books. At the top level, um, we've added in those history of the world books for those, for the um, high school level. Anyway, um, that is, that has been a big success for our family. Um, It also incorporates in geography and literature and language arts. So everything that you're reading, everything that you're writing, it's all related to the time period in history that you're studying. Um, So it's a history-based curriculum. Um, I do have my kids at the middle school level make a state book. And so they study all 50 states. They learn the states and capitals. They learn the state flower, the state bird, the state tree, 
and interesting and fun facts about each. And they make a little book as they go through. And each of my kids, um, I think, let's see, five, six of them now have made a little state book that they can throw away or take with them in life, whatever they want. It's kind of fun. That's a super cute idea. Yeah. And then at the um, high school level, as they go through history, they make their own history book. And it has um, this kind of something I've incorporated into the curriculum for them. But they it has a timeline space. So they put what they're studying. It has a space to focus in on a specific person that week. It has, you know, space to add vocabulary that you've learned or interesting facts. It has an essay question, that kind of thing. So um, they're making their own history book as they go through. And then another one more resource that we really like to use, and I'm going to mention it. I'm sorry. I don't even know if you can get these books out there anymore because they're kind of old. It's the Children Just Like Me books. And so you, um, every page, it's by Dorling Kindersley. So it's the white background on the pages. And each page you go to a different country or different location. And it's a child in the middle. And it talks about where they live and what their family looks like and the kind of food that they eat and where they go to school and all all the different things, um, what their dad does, what their mom does. And um all, where what their town is like and all the different things in their culture. And it's um, a really neat way to, again, take it back for kids. It's most meaningful for them to study about kids, like these boring stuffy old men that, you know, wrote songs and constitutions. Who cares, right? <laughs> so, so those are the some of the things that we do as we go through history. And I have to admit that I've been having a lot of fun with history with my kids because I really didn't enjoy it very much. <laughs> as a kid. And so it's been one of those things that has really opened up to me um, in my adulthood. So I don't know, maybe my kids are suffering through it. But anyway, we're having fun. It doesn't sound like it. It sounds amazing. In fact, I think you need to come teach my kids too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it for this week's episode, you guys. I'm Audrey. And I'm Bonnie. And we're outnumbered. Thanks for listening, friends. Click the link in the show notes to subscribe to our email and never miss another episode. Show us some love by leaving a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with a friend. Thanks for all your support. We'll talk to you next week. Also, as a final note about what we do right now, we're, we're using history of the world. Why do I keep saying history of the world? It's neither a curriculum nor anything. I just made it up. Okay. It's, it is. It's, it's Susan Weiss Powers, history books oh, for adults. She has story of the world for that. little kids. And she has okay. History. Well, let me, that's probably where it's coming from because I've heard of them. But anyway. Um, so 